Welcome to That Mom Life. I'm Sarah Jordan, and welcome to the village of just moms supporting moms, listening to each other's story. And this week's guest came to me from one of my friends who's actually been on the podcast before, Megan Bliss. She is an educator, both of math and of dance. And I said, I need teachers. This is such a crazy year. I'm struggling with it with my kiddos. So who should I talk to? And she immediately said, you have to talk to my friend, Amy Bratcher. So naturally, pulling a typical Southern Indiana, I reached out to you, Amy, and you and I quickly realized we had a lot in common and knew a lot of the same people. (laughs) This small Southern Indiana world we live in, right? Yes. Where again, it goes back to, wait, what year did you graduate? Do you know this person, this person, this person? And typically you're only about one degree separation of knowing some of the same people. (laughs) I love it. So take... Take me back to, you grew up in Southern Indiana. You graduated from New Albany High School. And in what what were you like in high school? I know you, did you play sports? I did, yep. I played soccer and I played basketball. Um, was friends with people that did theater. I would call myself a, round, a well-rounded kid, um, if that counts, as, you know, being a little bit into everything, being in a the advanced math courses, but then also, you know, doing soccer and basketball. And then I have, um, I'm the fourth of five kids. So I have an older brother at high school at the same time and a younger brother um, at the high school at the same time. So I knew younger, I knew older. Um, Yeah. So (laughs) well-rounded. What was it like being one of five kids? Well, it's super fun. I have um, two sisters that are a little bit older, and then I have a brother that's a year older and a brother that's a year younger. So everybody knows you, which is awesome usually. Um, you're one of those those Curtin kids. Um, and luckily, my sister set a really good um, example for us. So when we got the same teachers, they were like looking forward to having us. That was always helpful. Um, I, I'm one of three and I know growing up, there was a lot of competition, of course, cause we were all within four years of each other. Was there a lot of competition between you guys? Yeah, I think having us, we were kind of spread out. Um, cause my sisters were, I have a sister that's seven years older and a sister that's five years older. And then I had the a brother on each side of me. And I think that helped a lot because having brothers, we weren't competitive in the same way. Um, we all were on sports teams, but we weren't on the same sports team. It's not like we were competing with each other for playing time. I did end up in a math class with my older brother. And I, whereas I'm competitive and I thought that was cool. He didn't care at all. It didn't bother him one way or the other. Um, he was fine with it. Um, can you borrow my homework? Sure. <laughs> but, <laughs> like I thought that was pretty cool that my older brother was in my math class. See, that's so much fun. I, so again, I was with all girls, so I never had a brother. But you do remind me of the fact that so my son, my oldest son, is now. Um, just shy of seven years older than my newborn. And my daughter is almost just shy of five years older than my newborn. And at first I was super hesitant about having three kids because again, me and my sisters are all 18 months apart, are all girls all in high school at the same time. So it was a lot different, but I was like, wait a second, since my son is the oldest and there's such a big age gap, I don't think there's going to be the same competitiveness between them necessarily. So I, what you just said kind of reinforces that. So that makes me feel a little bit better about the future. 
Oh yeah. Oh, that's perfect though. Yeah, they're spaced out enough to be helpful to each other instead of, yeah, competing for attention or, you know, time or space. <laughs> exactly. So um, when you went to college, where did you go to receive your teaching degree? I went to Indiana University Southeast over on Grant Line Road, um, stayed close to home. I moved out, lived with some friends for a while, um, got my degree in education. And then I, after um, getting married, I went back and got my master's at IUS also. Okay. So tell me about the husband. So interesting story, kind of. I mean, I'll, I'll play it up a little bit, but um, we <laughs> we met through friends of friends. He also went to New Albany High School, but I did not know him. And he was in my brother's grade. Um, my older. brother had- my brother had heard of him just, yeah, a year older. Um, but also like we, it is classic, you know, Southern Indiana. We knew all the same people when we started hanging out. We were like, how have we not met? But officially we met on MySpace. Do you remember MySpace? Oh yeah. I remember my top friends list. Like exactly. So we had friends in common and whatnot. And we met on MySpace. Like our first communication was MySpace messages, which is so cute now because MySpace is, you know, forgotten. Um, (laughs) It's a thing of the past, but we thought we were so techie. Um, (laughs) So we met and we chatted it up through MySpace. And then we met or we hung out with, you know, mutual friends. And ended up um, engaged pretty quickly. And then we waited until I graduated to get married. And we went down to Clearwater Beach and got married on the beach with a few friends and family, which was totally awesome. So how old were you when you guys met? Um, 21. I think, I, yeah, I was the month before I, before I turned 21. So he was already 21. So did you guys wait till after you got finished with your master's or just school? No, just um, my bachelor's. I'm so fascinated. Okay. So how long were you guys together before you got engaged? Uh, That's a fun question. Cause let me do the math here. Uh, Probably a couple of months, Ooh, (laughs) like three months before we got engaged, but then we were engaged for like three years. So there's, there is a balance there, but yeah. So did you get married? Did you say you got married in 2010? We did. Yep. Okay. So this, you're a kindred spirit to me. So I met my husband when I was 21 as well. Um, actually not, not just before I turned, but like I was 21, I was a senior in college, but he's about three and a half years older than me, but we got engaged basically a year after we met and then got married a year later. So all in all, it happened super fast, but we also got married in 2010. So we got married November of 2010 and we were going to go on a big uh, 10 year anniversary trip this November, but that's not going to happen. Same. We had it scheduled for June or we had all these big ideas and we were like, you know, none of this is going to work out. Okay. So we ended, we did end up going to Florida this summer and we did end up um, leaving the babies with the cousins and my mom and my sister because we all went to Florida together and we had dinner. So that was nice. <laughs> Honestly, was big anniversary trip. Yeah. That's yeah. We were planning on doing like a huge anniversary trip, but then it was like, that's not going to happen. And then of course the other thing that I also was thinking about, okay, well our youngest is only going to be exactly a year old at that time. So if oh. I'm, if I'm still breastfeeding or anything else, yeah. leaving her for like a week, especially given 2020 in which I have not gone to, <laughs> I've only not put her to bed once. Like that's probably not the best plan. We'll wait for high hopes of 2021. So 
you are now a mother of three. And actually, that's one of the things that uh, our mutual friend Megan said. She's like, you have to talk to Amy about kids. So when you and your husband got married, was it an automatic that we're going to have a family? Because I mean, I would assume since you're one of five, you were probably pretty gung ho on let's have kids. Oh, yeah. I was ready to have five of my own. My um, grandmother had five kids. My mom had five kids. And I was like, five kids. That's perfect. And of course, he was like, yeah, we'll, we'll you know, we'll see when we get to three what happens. But um, I was set on five kids. And yes, I was set on like, let's get going because I want a bunch. And if you're going to have a bunch, you got to start now. <laughs> So, so, so you got, you got married around 23 and you guys decided you were going to probably start having kids. So start walking me down your journey here. So our stimulation on kids, like we had it all planned out. I'm a huge planner. I love all things time management and you know, efficiency wise. Um, I had this plan. We were going to, I was going to graduate with my master's or buy a house, whichever one came first. Well, it turned out like they happened at basically the same time. And that was awesome because then we were like, okay, now it's time for kids. We kept these two things off our list. Um, let's, let's go. And so we started trying and I was super irregular. Like my period, I would get it like every 60, sometimes 90 days. And I thought, well, either this will straighten it out or we'll figure out what's going on um, with this. So we talked to my doctor about it and he said, okay, well here, you know, go ahead and you guys can start trying and then we'll just see what happens. And of course it didn't work and it didn't work and it didn't work. And we thought, okay, well, in order to explore further options, the the rule of thumb is that you have to be trying for a year before um, you can get like fertility support or even your doctor to refer you to like a fertility specialist. And so um, we had been trying for like six months and I said, listen, it's, I'm not waiting a year because we don't have, like, that's not in my timeline and I'm very controlling. <laughs> Let's be real. That is like the worst part about me. Super controlling as far as like my plans. And um, so I said, I, I can't wait a year because I know this isn't right. And I know that it's my body. Like I know that my body is not doing what it's supposed to be doing or how things are supposed to be, you know, naturally working out. And so we talked to my doctor and we said, listen, I know because of my past and my irregular periods that something's up and he said, okay, well, let's try some, you know, um, ovulation, um, medication. We'll try some, uh, Clomid. How about some Clomid? And if you've ever taken Clomid, it's like, oh man, Clomid. Um, the the um, side effects of Clomid are just like basically makes you crazy. <laughs> and, it's essentially just hormones, right? But like a lot yeah. of hormones, yeah. right? It's, it, yes, it's straight delivery, like straight in there. Get it, you know? And so I took Clomid for a little bit, and I said, either you're not giving me enough, or it's not affecting me because I'm having no side effects. And so when I talked to my friends that were also doing it, like into fertility. Um, just education kind of stuff. And when I looked up, you know, facts and figures, because that's what I do too. Like, let's do the research. I wasn't having any of the side effects and you're supposed to have pretty, like pretty noticeable side effects. And I wasn't having none of it. So then he said, okay, well, let's try this other one. It's called letrozole. And I said, okay. And he gave me just like the, the least amount, I guess we were going to work up to it. And I said, listen, like this is not working either. It's not even affecting me. So I can tell you that it's not working because I'm not having any of the side effects you're supposed to have. And so he, um, he was so very relaxed that I was like, okay, bye. <laughs> 
and basically like we let I left that doctor and I myself like um I have a friend that used a fertility specialist in Louisville they're called fertility and endocrine and my friend I was actually babysitting for her kids um once a week so we talked about it pretty regularly and she said listen like you can take yourself over there you don't need a referral and so I signed up for it and they had a new doctor in the clinic so they were able to get me in like super fast compared to the schedules that the um, veteran doctors had on their plate and they said well if you don't mind seeing a new doctor we can get you in pretty soon and I said I am all for it you know if you're a doctor you are more qualified than me uh, you know all this business so I signed up. Um, we got in pretty quickly and Dr. Krause um, basically got me started that day. It wasn't just an IVF consult. It was a fertility consult, but it led to this is what we're looking at um, in the future. Let's try those ovulation medications. Let's try timed intercourse. Let's try an HCG trigger shot, which, you know, um, encourage, well, you hopefully don't know, but it encourages your eggs to um, like be produced and it sets a calendar for you. It sets a timing for you. And she, um, even at that first visit, it was supposed to be like a consult. And she went ahead and did an exam there. I mean, we didn't waste any time. So we did six rounds, which means six months, um, six treatments of um, ovulation medication, timed intercourse, and HCG trigger shots. And it didn't work. And so then led us up to a procedure um, where they were going to clear out all of my reproductive, you know, business. And they cleared out my tubes and they um, used the, the dye to see if they were functioning correctly, if things were flowing. And she questioned like one of the tubes um, when the dye was pooling, she said, I think that came from the other one and, and dipped under. And anyway, this, it, unless you're like looking at an ultrasound, it probably doesn't make a lot of sense, but there was some questionable um, stuff going on. So, and then I, at the same time, I was also diagnosed with PCOS, so this, which is the polycystic uh -huh. ovarian syndrome. And that was really hard because like the probability that you'll conceive naturally with PCOS, like it, it puts a lot of extra steps in and PCOS is so, it's, it's actually very vague. Like there's a hundred different categories and like characteristics that you can qualify for. And I think I qualified for like two of them, which was irregular period. And I honestly, I can't remember the other like box that we check marked, but um, ended up that PCOS was the correct diagnosis because um, when the procedures and the um, all the stuff that we went through um, to check out my reproductive, you know, system, when it came back, it was like, oh, here's exactly what we're looking at here. There's a cyst this time when there's never been a cyst before. There's this going on. So anyway, when they cleared me out, I ended up getting pregnant naturally. We were not on ovulation medication. Um, they had cleared everything out and I ended up getting pregnant and we thought, oh, we just beat infertility. Like, look at us go. We didn't need the medication. We didn't need um, extra help. We did it after being flushed out, you know, but we did it. Um, and then I ended up miscarrying at seven weeks and that was really hard um, because we were so like, because we thought we had beat, you know, the whole infertility diagnosis. And then after that, we tried um, a couple more rounds of ovulation medication. And I said, I just can't do this anymore. Like it's not obviously not working and we're using a whole lot of time on this, a whole lot of resources. 
Um, but by then we had used so many resources that when IVF was presented as our only option, um, we did not have the money that we needed because IVF can cost, we ended up paying $24,000. What? Right. So between all of the um, harvesting of eggs, the ovulation medication, all the medication that you get to um, stem, like to get your eggs growing and to open the follicles and this, that, and the other. And then you harvest the eggs and then you transfer the eggs to basically a Petri dish where you introduce the sperm to the egg. And um, we actually had to do traditional IVF. They just let the egg and the sperm like sit together and they figure it out because the sperm <laughs> go to the egg, right? Well, in our case, um, they had to use, it's called ICSI and it's a different, um, it's a different way of, it's basically you force the egg and the sperm together and they will create an embryo because you said so. <laughs> and so we ended up getting um, 24 eggs harvested of those 24 eggs, 13 turned into embryos. And then we did a fresh transfer. And this is like the quick version of it. I know I'm saying like a lot of uh, of, of fertility terms, but this is like the, the shortest way to get it out. Um, so we had 13 embryos at one point, and they were five-day blastocysts, which means they had been in the lab for five days. We basically, like, created the embryo. And after we created the embryos, we did a fresh transfer for our first IVF cycle, and, our, and it worked. Um, IVF only has a 50% chance of success. Um, and I don't know if you've heard this stat before, but natural conception is actually only a 20% success rate um, for a healthy pregnancy and delivery. And so when you see everybody else with their 20% having like multiple kids and like getting pregnant so fast, it's like, okay, well, at least IVF, like we're getting a 50%, even though that sounds terrible when you're paying $24,000. But it's... um. When you say that, that statistic, now, are you just saying like a like without any complications or are you saying that's only 20% like fully make it? Are you giving like, like does that statistic basically say like if you have to take shots or you have this complication during pregnancy, like what all does that mean? Um, 50% success rate of delivering a healthy baby. And then 20% naturally. And then 20%. Yeah. It for natural conception out of all of the times you have sex, 20% is the statistic that, yeah, that our office gave us. And I was like, that sounds crazy because you're 20%. Like I see families with like, you know, eight kids and they're pregnant after they, <laughs> after they have a kid, they get pregnant again. What? Um, right. Was it hard? What was it hard for you to be on social media in the comparison society that we live in. I mean, you mentioned it, but you see, like you said, the other 20% having kids or what seems to be all the time. Was that hard for you to see that on social media and have your own friends having kids? Oh, it was especially hard when we were doing the ovulation medication because you're pumping yourself full of hormones. And so it affects you even more than like you would let it probably bother you if you weren't, you know, taking extra hormones. Um, and then 
let it, you know, so on like Facebook and Instagram, you know how you can hide people in your newsfeed. Well, pregnant people got hidden and I, you know, check in with them when I talk to them. But it was like, I just can't do it every month because every month I'm getting this like negative test back and we're paying all this money and we're timing this out and we're putting so much effort into this. That when you get, you know, past the first round, second round, third round, and then you're like, oh, everybody else has a baby. Yay. <laughs> but then when we got to the IVF part, I don't know, something about having the control of IVF. Um, I was able to, it, it was a whole different mindset. It was like, you've got to think positive or it's not, you know, it's not going to fly. You're not going to make it like mentally, emotionally, like you need to be stable for this process. <laughs> so hang in there and, you know, embrace it. And um, when we ended up doing IVF, we were very open about it. We actually had to ask for help because, like I said, our resources were spent. We had used so much to get where we were um, that came, you know, with no no success that we were we were low. So we not only told everybody, but we told everybody um, that we were going to need some help. And we set up a WeCare account, which is kind of like a GoFundMe, but for like medical purposes. And I sold, I made fleece blankets and sold them. And then we had some t-shirts made that said Think Positive on it. And when we made those t-shirts, people wanted them. I mean, everybody wanted a t-shirt. So we sold t-shirts to raise money. We made fleece blankets. There was some like jewelry making involved. And then people started just donating. And within three hours of us setting this goal. Um, Sorry, I have to take a deep breath because it still gets me. (laughs) Within um, three hours, we had enough money to call the doctor and tell her we were going to be able to do IVF. That is amazing. You are a very loved individual. And your husband. Right. I mean, it was insane. Like I still, like I said, I still, it still gets me. So I would assume that knowing that you have children now, IVF (laughs) works for you guys. Okay. So yeah, our first round, we transferred a fresh embryo and that is Miss Lucy. Lucy was born in September and she'll be four this year. Um, And at that point we were like, oh yeah, so IVF, totally. We love it. It works. It's awesome. Like, let's do it again. (laughs) And so um, Lucy turned one and we started trying like natural conception again and it didn't work. And then we were like, okay, well, we know we're not going to do the ovulation medication route. We know that that's not going to work for us. We've just lived that so many times. Let's just jump right back into IVF. Well, with this second round of IVF, you, we had embryos in the freezer, so we didn't have to start from scratch. A lot of people, they have to start the whole process over again, which would have been like another $24,000. But for us, because we had embryos in the freezer, all we had to pay for was um, getting my body, like tricking my body into thinking it was pregnant and then transferring the embryo, which is like, it's crazy how simple that procedure is. I mean, you literally like walk in with all of your um, like hormone packed body. (laughs) You walk in legs up, they put the embryo where it's supposed to be and you're done. Like you walk out and you have to have, you know, you have to rest afterwards and they say no horseback riding. But besides that, um, um, there really aren't a whole lot of restrictions. (laughs) So we ended up doing that again um, a couple of summers ago. I guess three summers ago now. And it didn't work. 
And that was the hardest. Like that was worse than um, the miscarriage because we paid it was still thousands of dollars for the medicine. And we had, so uh, we had this one we did on our own. We um, just used everything that we had and we transferred the embryo. We actually went on a trip kind of like soon after. And I found out while we were on vacation that it didn't work. And we totally just assumed it would because it worked before. And so knowing that like we had a healthy embryo, we prepped my body okay, this is the other 50%. So that was really hard. Um, and then and then it was like, oh, what did I do wrong? Because we had control of everything. We thought, you know, we had everything in line and, and on the ready. So then I went and worked out like a maniac. I was working out like four days a week and tracking calories and <laughs> counting steps. And um, so I lost um, like 40 pounds. And I was like, well, maybe, you know, well, I think that was like in the middle of that cycle. Cause I remember I had lost half of it. And then after it didn't work, I was like, what? I didn't, I did my do. Okay. Well, let's do it even harder. And then I did, I did, I went kind of um, obsessive on the workout and um, take care of your body route, which is not unhealthy except for like my reasons, my reasoning for doing it was not healthy. It was more of like a punish your body thing because your body didn't do what it, it was supposed to do. Um, but I had Lucy and that was the magic of IVF, like, because we know it could work. So then after, um, all of that business, um, we waited almost, let me think that was in July. So we waited until November and we were like, okay, we're going to do this again. Like, I can't stop thinking about it. I can't stop focusing on this. I really want to have siblings for Lucy, but like also for me and like, we're going to try it again. And if it doesn't work this time, we're done. What's done is done is done, you know, and we will donate our embryos and we will live a long, happy life with our Lucy girl and life is good. Well, we, I talked to some friends about it and I said, I can't not do it. So I can't not try. So we got to try. So then a friend of mine at school was like, you know, you should do your t-shirts again because you guys needed help. Right. And I said, well, we do, but we asked for help before and everybody came through and I just feel guilty asking again. And she was like, no, like everybody wants this to happen for you. (laughs) And so we sold t-shirts again and I ended up having to do a very specific, um, it was a patch that you wear for estrogen and it was a continuous delivery system of estrogen for um, 18 weeks. And the patches, um, they were like eight in a pack and each pack cost like $400. And so Ooh. that was really, right. So I, to- I told everybody, I was like, can you believe this? And everybody was like, oh, here, we'll help you out. And it was crazy because um, it worked and we transferred two embryos that time. And so now we have twins that just turned one on July 10th and they are 100%. I mean, just like Lucy two and Lucy three, they are so funny because they all look alike. Um, and it's so funny to think that they all started on the same day and they all started in the same lab. <laughs> And now we've got Lucy and the twins who, you know, had they been born at the same time, they they would have been triplets. Um, So it's really cool to see the science part of that. But also like all the hard work that went into that, which uh, ties us into, you know, the whole um, the whole topic we're talking about with teaching. It's like we worked so hard to have these kids. We did so much. We, um, you know, we 
just a thousand percent of us went into making the kids. <laughs> so now that we have the kids, you know, they are by far like the most important thing ever. I, so tell me your kids' names. I know you've got Lucy. What are the names of your other two? And then the twins are Miles and Callie. Uh, so now you've got three beautiful babies. And so is, are they, they're three years apart? Yeah. She turned three um, in the September after the July they were born. So yes, like almost three years. I'm so excited for you. I actually, while we were on this, I creeped on you on Facebook and oh. <laughs> your family is so stinking cute. <laughs> Don't they all look alike? <laughs> They do. They really do. You know, it always just blows my mind how genetics work. I mean, regardless of the way that, that you had the science help create the baby, regardless, those are your genes. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. like looking, looking at it, it's just crazy to me when you see your kids, there is nothing more crazy to me. And I think this still happens to me once a day. I'll look at my kids and I'm like, Oh my God, I made you. (laughs) Right. And it is, it's such a surreal feeling because it's like, you can never change that, take it away, whatever. Like you see yourself in their eyes, the what, like your baby pictures versus their baby pictures. Oh my gosh. They really do all look like, especially the two little girls. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. We call Cat that dark hair. <laughs> <laughs> so how was life with twins? Oh, it's nuts. And it's awesome too, because, because I think it works for me. I mean, it works for our family. It works for us. Um, because we, I don't know, because I am so controlling, I guess, like we've got it covered. That's how, that's how it feels. And that's how it looks. We got this covered. We got this. We will prepare for, you know, everything. Well, with twins, come on in the beginning, they're so teeny tiny and you just snuggle them all the time that, I mean, you can hold two little bitty babies. They weren't, they weren't tiny when they were born. Um, they were seven, seven and seven, two. Wow. Right. They were, and they came a month early because they were so big. Um, we, we have big babies. Lucy was, um, 10 pounds, 15 ounces. So big babies. Bless your heart. (laughs) And Lucy was two weeks late. Um, but the twins, yeah, they were born a week early. And then when you just have these two little nuggets, I mean, you just do everything twice and it's no big deal. Like you're changing a diaper. Okay. Do another one while you're at it. If you make a bottle, if you're, you know, pumping pump twice as long, if you're, you know, anything make two, no big deal. Just always have two ready. You've got, you go get a swaddle. Okay. Grab two. No big deal. And then they start moving and you're like, okay, do we have room for two? All right, we're good. Do we have um, toys that they can not so much fight over, but be distracted by, you know, do we have two of this, that, and the other? And we didn't do two of everything, which thank goodness, because they are so busy. They wouldn't need it at the same time anyway, but twins is fun. Like it logistically and like just emotionally too though because when one um, when they were really little if one would fuss the other would would notice but now if one starts fussing about something the other one will just copycat like they have no emotion behind it but they're gonna make the noise too (laughs) just to be a copycat it's so funny um and now they're both walking so now we're getting into where like they can walk in opposite directions and you know big sister lucy is more than helpful um (laughs) sometimes we have to say put the babies down um oh I know. I have to d- tell my kid that too. I'm like, stop. Like, I know you're hugging her, but like, you're hugging her really hard. Don't pull her arm that way. Don't get on top of her. Don't step near her head. Don't take her toy. Like, 
Oh my God. Yeah. And, and, and Lucy tells me, well, I'm saving the day. And I'm like, I'm sure you are saving the day. Please stop <laughs> picking them up. I know you're hiding in the right place. But if you drop a baby, it's going to be a problem. <laughs> I know my baby just started crawling in the last, really in the last week. And she's oh. into everything. I swear she's the biggest troublemaker that I've had so far. Because I mean, <laughs> If there's a wire on the floor, she's going to find the wire on the floor. And I keep telling the kids, you can't leave anything tiny on the floor. Well, then she'll find like the tiniest little cracker crumb somewhere. And I find her with something in her mouth or like the tiniest. It's, it's insane to me. I'm like, you're seeking out the dog hair on the floor. You're seeking out right. the tiny stuff. So I'm like, you have to watch her. And it is, you're, I can't imagine two of her going in different directions. So you are a super mama, which so I think funny. it totally makes sense. If you're one of five right. and you went to school to be a teacher, juggling multiple well, students and or kids at the same time is right. comes naturally to you. And by the way, how many nieces and nephews do you have then total then amongst you and your siblings? Um, so I have one nephew that's the oldest and then two nieces. And then we okay. basically mirrored that and we had, you know, two more girls and a boy. <laughs> I have two daughters and a son as well. My son is my oldest and then daughter, daughter. Um, so what did now just to focus in on education a little bit. So you went to school to be a teacher. What kind of teacher were you? I say were because I know you took a break because of the twins. <laughs> I know I'm thinking like, well, um, I did go back after the twins, but I teach second grade. Oh, yeah. So, and I've always been in elementary. Um, I taught first grade for a year and then I did an interventionist position and then I went to second and I've been in second ever since. So I've done of my 10 years, this will be my 11th. Um, I think eight of them have been in second grade. So like seven and eight year olds. So my son is turning seven, but he's going into first grade. Okay. Um, yeah. He missed the cutoff. Um, by like a week, but it's okay. Yes. That's what I heard. Always keep the boys to yeah. be older, the older ones in their class. I, agree. I've, I could text, spend an hour just talking to you about, okay, what do I do? I didn't do everything I was supposed to in the summertime. What's it going to happen to him going into school this year? But I will start with what is your, are you a second grade teacher going into this school year? Yes. Okay. How are you feeling right now? Are you going back in person? Because I know New Albany Floyd County Schools are still giving in-person options and virtual options. Which option are you teaching? So I took the in-person option. Um, I didn't sign up for virtual. Like they were taking volunteers for virtual and I did not volunteer for that. Um, my heart is in classroom teaching. It is, um, which makes things a little more complicated with um, staying, you want to say like staying safe and healthy. Um but I'm also the question that you that parents are sitting on, like, how is this going to look? Just know that teachers are thinking the same thing. Um, as a teacher, I have signed up to go back to school um, when, you know, if in two weeks or whatnot, um, or less than two weeks now, <laughs> August 10th, and then kids come the 12th. Um, I expect that I will be, you know, in my classroom with my desk spread out. But there's so much changing, I guess, just like nationwide, really, but like our state's mandates are changing, you know, the governor's giving different um, uh, requirements every now and then. And you're like, okay, we can keep up with it because we're planners. We're going to plan it this way. And then we're going to change it. And we're going to plan it this way. So my plan is to go back in the classroom and have, you know, a welcome back first day of school. I missed the first day of school last year because I was on maternity leave, the baby's um, 
I went back after eight weeks, um, but that took six weeks of school <laughs> that had already happened without me. And I was so torn because it was the first day of school and it's so exciting and it's so like just heartwarming. And I missed that. And so I was really looking forward to having a first day. And so the plan is... Okay. The plan is when the kids come in that I will be there physically, you know, with, with open arms, but I'm not allowed to hug them. So (laughs) with, um, sanitizer in my hand and, uh, a face shield on with a mask underneath, I'll be smiling. They, they'll just have to read my eyes. I'll be smiling. They may not be able to see it, but I'm excited to have a first day. They can, they can read, they can read tone and they can see it in your eyes. Yeah. I mean, I will tell you, so I live in a multi-generational home and my father is here and my parents are here. They're both retired and my grandfather is here. So we have a couple high risk people and I had to make the decision last week to switch them to virtual. And when, because I realized it wasn't that they were at risk, but my dad was at risk of if they brought it home. Yep. And my parents are in my kids' lives every single day, nonstop playing with them, wrestling with them, climbing with them. Like there's no separating them. There's no, no hugging them. And even on the day that was supposed to be the first day of Nwabity Floyd County schools, Mm -hmm. I was supposed to have a kindergartner starting school Mm -hmm. and a first grader starting school. And I was supposed to put them on the little bus and wave to them goodbye. And I'm very emotional about it because I don't want to not be strong for them doing virtual learning at first. And I know I have the option to switch them back, but it's like, I have to protect my house. Mm -hmm. And I got the picture day for virtual students. And I know when I'm going to go pick up my textbooks, but like, I am so upset about it. Like it is, this is not, I mean, and everyone can agree. This is not what anyone wants. No, This is is not what anyone wants. Well, and even trying to find the best. And especially... Yeah, the best is not the best for everybody. And even if you say, like, this is the best way we can do it, even if the schools are presenting, this is our best plan. Well, it is not the best for everybody. It's not It's not going to work that way. No. And I mean, and that's the hard part. And I mean, I'm a planner, too. I'm a control freak. Mm-hmm. And when I can't plan the future and the plans that I thought I had are changing, it throws me so bad. So like all these thoughts I've had about the first day of school and I got all my school supplies and I love school supplies. And so I have everything together. We got our new, we got our new backpacks. And then I made this harsh realization that I can't do this. And so I know I'm not alone. And that's why when there were people making judgments as to whether or not you're a good or bad person for sending them in home or virtually or whatever it may be. I'm like, again, we can all agree. This is not how the teachers want to go back to school. This is not Mm -hmm. how the schools want to have school. This is not what the parents want to deal with. This is not what kids want to deal with. But unfortunately, it's what we're in. And I keep trying to tell myself to make the most out of it. But again, I'm over here going, okay, well, my son needs help reading. Am I going to be able to provide him just as much help and support? Is that virtual teacher going to be able to help provide him as much support? Like, is my daughter, when she does get to go back in person sometime, she's going to go how long without being around these other little kids and making those friendships? I'm just, I keep going so negative with my what-if scenarios. And when I can so only imagine what yeah, there's going some with the, the, the experts want to tell you, you know, to look out for um, the socialization. Also, are they reading on level? Also, can they, you know, do they use number sense when they solve real world math problems? And it's like, that all sounds good and fine. And we would tackle that on a normal 
like setting, but what does that look like virtual? Like I didn't sign up for the virtual teacher. I didn't volunteer for that. I know there are some teachers in our building that have immunity, um, like compromised immune systems. And I want them to be able to do that because they need to be safer than I do. My immune system can handle, uh, you know, I hate to say this, I can handle a little bit of infection because that is just not where we want to be. But there are other people that need that position. And what does that what does that virtual even look like? So when the experts want to say, yeah, I want to talk about your reading levels and your number sense and your social skills, what does that look like in a virtual setting? Yeah, what are we doing? I know. And that's where I'm trying to figure out. I guess I'll figure it out. I know that I feel a lot more comfortable seeing the sample plan for this school year versus what happened in the spring, even though I know in the spring, no one knew what to do. No one was prepared for that. So I do feel a lot better about the inclusion and how much more it mirrors a regular classroom. I'm just hoping beyond hoping beyond hoping that we have to do maybe virtual for the first quarter and then hopefully by second quarter, they're back. Um, my kids are being troopers though. Honestly, they didn't take it hard. I took it hard. And then I hid from them and I cried. Um, <laughs> Cause they're little, they don't necessarily, I mean, they know, but they don't, it's not like they've been in school for six years and they really know. Or it's I mean, year and it's going to be this special year. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm the one that is struggling the most in the household about it. So, I mean, I respect you so much for being a teacher and um, I guess risking your own safety of you and your family in order to be able to go back. Um, but I can't wait until I can get my kids back in there. My son likes wearing a mask. He thinks it's fun. <laughs> um, and my daughter is fine with it, but she wants him to be cute. Mm -hmm. Um so it's just, it is a hard year to, in your case, not only be a parent, but be to be a teacher too, because you're exactly right. There's no best for everybody. There is best for you. And the educators are doing the best that they can. Parents are trying to do the best that they can. And that's all we can hope for. And just pray more than ever, we get something to let us back into schools normally sooner than later. But it is a wild, wild ride. <laughs> That And that's it. I mean, first of all, we don't know what's going to happen next. So we go with the flow until the flow changes and then we figure out how to navigate those waters. Um, so it when I think about our situation, because my kids, they do, they stay with um, my mom and dad when I'm at school. And so for me, it was like, oh, I've got this planned out. I will go and I will teach and I will keep all these kids at school safe. I will keep them separated. I will keep their germs from each other and from myself. And then I will um, shower and I will change my clothes and then I'll go get my, you know, precious baby so that I'm not spreading the germs that I'm bringing from school. Well, my parents also, um, they pick up my nieces from, they'll be picking them up from middle school because my sister is also a teacher and she will be in her school building, which is a different school building um, full of kids. And her niece or my nieces go um, to the middle school. So my parents would be picking my nieces up from the middle school with my kids um, still in their care. And I'm thinking, okay, well now my plan changed because if they're going to be like me, the middle school kids are coming in with my littles, <laughs> then will it matter if I change your shower before? Or, you know, like how can we avoid the contamination, but also how can we, 
um, get our kids best cared for because without a doubt, you know, my parents are the best um, option for me to have childcare while I work. And so I hope it doesn't like appear that I'm putting my school before my own kids and family. I don't know. That's, that's another reason it makes it so hard because um, priorities are different and choices change. And my parents, they are not, um, they have been out and about. Now they wear a mask. My mom's or she's retired, but she was a registered nurse. So she's all about like germ control, um, which is awesome. They're really careful, but they haven't really slowed down either. They don't stay in as they've been (laughs) instructed to do. Um, so I know they don't mind the kids, you know, coming in and out and the middle schoolers coming in and out. But then I think about it on the other side. I'm like, okay, am I bringing more germs to my parents who don't need germs around too? Anyway, like you said, it's just different for everybody. Well, and I honestly, I'm the same way as far as like the what ifs things go, because I was also, I've started thinking, okay, well, if I don't send my kids to in-school learning, not that we've been hanging out with our friends much at all anyway, (laughs) in some cases, not at all. Does that mean I can't be around anybody that goes to school? Because then is that just as bad as sending my kids to school? And then round and round we go. And then here I am spiraling out of control again, because I'm upset. And my, that's just too much for my brain to wrap its head around. So I'm, there are so many things to consider. And I mean, again, you and I could talk about that back and forth for a while. So with that being said, as a teacher, what advice would you give to parents heading into this school year, regardless of their education, educational option they have to choose? Um, first, you know, health and safety is first. Um, and if that means your choices are different from our choices or your choices have to change in the middle of uh, the, the nine weeks, um, health and safety first. But the second one is is where I'm like accepting what is, um, kind of going with the flow, hanging with us, um, knowing that we're doing our best. Um, most parents, every parent that I've talked to that I know and that um, goes to my school, uh, not a negative comment out of anybody. Everybody's been super supportive. They're, they've, they've told me, you know, I've got your back. If you need tissues, if you need supplies, you just tell us we're sending it in by the truckload. Um, <laughs> they're ready to support us. So hang in there. Um, just know that we're figuring it out the same way you're figuring it out. And I, and I, I have to um, just harp on safety and health first because your kiddo can catch up. Like, I just have no worries about it. We've got kids that come in, you know, below level and we can catch them up um, because of the interventions and because of the the dedication that we give them, you know, the attention that we give them, the one-on-one, wherever they are academically, they'll catch up. Health and safety first. Uh, That makes me feel better, honestly, because even if, for instance, if one of the, let's just say my son is behind in reading after being at home and he goes back after the first quarter, they can catch up. We can figure it out. Um, Yes, yes, yes. And everybody's going to be slightly behind because of last spring anyway. (laughs) Also true. Very valid point. All right. Last question before I go. Speaking of the fact that we're talking about being a mom and if you were last piece of advice for anybody struggling with fertility issues, what would you tell them? Well, get started now. Don't wait. Um, 100%. That's been my motto since we've lived this and we've, you know, had all the experiences that we've had. Don't wait. If you know, something's not 
not right. Um, just like I knew something was not right with my body and I did not wait a year. I'm so glad I didn't because I was right. Uh, when we went to the specialist, like we found out, like there were some other issues that my regular, um, gyno would never have tested and would never have dug that deep because that's just not their position to do so. Um, get started as soon as you know, something's not right. Um, and if, and if that means telling your doctor it's been a year, I'm not going to tell you to lie, but get started as soon as you know something's not right. Um, and don't be afraid to ask for help. That, that, is, that might be number one. If not, it's a close number two. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, I was very stuck on um, my independence and what I could do by myself. And even me and my husband, we, um, as I, you know, got my degree, we bought the house, we had the plan. We were very independent as far as like, we can provide for ourselves, kind of thing. Um, asking for help was by far the hardest like move to make. I had posted it on social media and like was trembling, you know, clicking that post button to share, first of all, like our business, you know, our very private, you know, um, facts about life. Um, but after I shared and after it came back and after everybody just like tackled me with love and, <laughs> and help. It was like, Oh my gosh, this is so much easier to live a life where you can ask for help and you can lean on somebody else. And so that has honestly helped me more than anything as a parent too, because when something's going crazy here, I'm like, Hey, um, guess who needs help? It's me again. <laughs> but this time it's because miles has a milk sensitivity or Lucy's got a snotty nose. Let's make sure it's not anything more than, you know, just congestion. But um, You know what? It's so hard to ask for help. And I always turn it down when it is offered to me. So I actually do give that advice to new parents. If someone offers to bring you a dinner, say yes. Mm -hmm. If someone says, what do you need? Answer them if they're offering. They wouldn't be saying it. Like, <laughs> it's right. okay. Oh, man. When we had Lucy, someone was like, the best thing you can do is have a list of things that people could help you with. So when someone says, how can I help? You're not saying, oh, it's fine. I got it. You start with the first thing on your list and it's just ready. And people want to help because that is their like love language. You know, that is how yes. they love you. You know, by That's helping. my personal love language. That doesn't mean that I'm good at accepting the help though. <laughs> <laughs> right. You're the but giver. I want to help other people. <laughs> You're on the other okay. side. Give the help. Well, we can give Amy, the advice. I'm so glad that Amy, I'm so glad that Megan connected us because <laughs> you are a wonderful mom, wife, teacher. I mean, what you've been, and I can tell through your voice, you are such a kind person and with an adorable family with such an amazing outlook. So thank you for taking the time to be on my podcast today. Your story is wonderful and I hope it does help other people. Well, thank you for reaching out. I do, I do feel like I've found a kindred spirit here. Like, why does our lives like mirror each other? This is so cool. I know. And see, now we're going to be friends. And now, like, even just we've accepted each other's friend requests on Facebook in the time we've done this podcast. The amount of mutual <laughs> friends we have is crazy. So I'm glad that you and I officially know who each other is now. And I look forward to being your friend. Thank you so much for joining me today, Amy. Thank you, Sarah.